Amen. Well, we have been uh, walking through, of course, the book of Acts, and the past couple of weeks, we walked through Paul's missionary journey. So if we can have that map, Pastor Mark, um, we've got the uh, 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 Paul and Barnabas starting not from Jerusalem, but from Antioch, which is 300 miles north, and we uh, read how they went through Cyprus and how they went up through Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, to all of these different cities um, full of Jews and Gentiles, and it had an incredible time of ministry. They were also beaten constantly and run out of town, but they celebrated, and they looked on this thing as an incredible success, and the Word of God went throughout all the region. It was a beautiful thing that took place. The church was, was growing like wildfire. And as they got back home to Antioch, they had to sort of debrief over all the things they saw, and they had some decisions to make. So Acts chapter 15 is that story, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. It is an extremely important chapter in the history of the church. Its uh, uh, implications are, are wide-ranging. Uh, the, the theological questions abound as a result of this chapter, and we could very easily spend a whole week of lecture sitting in here listening, except I don't have that much material on it, so we're going to have to suffice to just, just do this morning. Is that okay? What that means is that I'm going to, it's sort of like, let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up kind of moment. So that's what this morning is. It's summing up uh, some things that took place. So uh, I, I, I believe, even though it's, it's kind of a heady chapter and all that's there, I think there are some really beautiful things for us to take hold of today, even if the initial controversies don't touch us um, as much. So hang with me. Here's what happened. When Paul would, would, went in that first missionary journey, and they're going to all of these cities, you know where he's going? He's going to the Jewish neighborhoods. Okay, Paul was a Jew. He's going into the synagogues. They would meet on the Sabbath, and they would read the, the scriptures. And, uh, and then after, even after that, uh, they had, a very, they had very tight-knit communities. These guys would meet together in homes. They would take the Lord's Supper. They would, they would feast together. They would, to use that overused phrase, do life together. That's, that's what they did, right? And uh, so that's where, where Paul would, would go. Now, remember, uh, they, they were following the Torah quite, quite carefully, most of these communities. And that meant they were... Uh, uh, you know, following the Mosaic law as best they could, um, including the civil and ceremonial laws, you know, in Exodus through Deuteronomy. And those scriptures contain a whole lot of instructions that people in the cities would probably find very, very strange. They had, for instance, uh, rules about diets, you know, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, what, what was a clean animal, what was an unclean animal. They had laws dictating sacrifices for, for sins. They had laws about the calendar, feasting days, fasting days, Sabbath. They had laws about what you could wear, excuse me, uh, uh, fabrics you could combine and couldn't combine in your tunic. And most importantly, they had circumcision laws, which was, you know, every male had to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant with God. So throughout their history, of course, the... the they didn't always take these laws seriously, and, and when they set aside uh, their heritage, bad things happened. They suffered. So there were many who took it very seriously, and uh, uh, those who did, I think it's easy to look back at them uh, in light of what was all to come and, and to, 
to assume that it was legalism. And I think that's, that can be a wrong assumption. I think these guys were really trying to follow uh, uh, God as best as they could. And, and they, they uh, uh, were really trying to pursue holiness and obedience. However, sometimes in that pursuit, some people went too far. And that's what, what happened uh, in this era. You had some were, who were extremely zealous, people like Paul himself before his conversion, and who banded together in extra conser conservative uh, and sometimes vitriolic factions. And some of those factions were very, very opposed to what was going on with the growth of the church, uh, like the Pharisees, for instance. And before I go any further, I want to give a quick aside. When you're reading the book of Acts, You'll notice Luke, the author, sometimes uses a shorthand term to refer to these groups. He sometimes just calls them the Jews. But it's really clear. We need to understand he's not talking about all the Jewish people. He's talking about these particular subsets who were opposing the church at this time. But you could read it in a very uncharitable manner, and many people have throughout the centuries. And it's led to all, kind of, all kinds of anti-Semitic things that have taken place. In fact, the Jews were subject to persecution at the hands of the church for centuries, and it was a terrible thing. And, and sometimes that happens by a really lousy and poor interpretation of what's actually going on. And the reason I bring it up is because it seems like persecution has followed the Jewish people, oh gosh, ever since Egypt, you guys. And it's continued. I don't know if you've seen stuff that's happened, you know, the, the past uh, uh, several months, the past year or so, where, where persecution against Jewish people has very much been on the rise. And it's just evil. Just evil. And there, there's no space for that. There's no space for that, obviously, in, in the faith. There's no space for that biblically either. It, it's just terrible. Now, let's just take a minute. Can we just pray for that situation? Lord, we just, we lift up our Jewish neighbors Lord, and we, we ask that you would bring an end to this. We pray you would protect them, especially these ones. I think there's been a lot of stuff happening in Brooklyn where there's a, a, a many, uh, many Jewish communities, a large Jewish community. I pray that you would protect them. I pray, Lord, that you would heal our nation of the stain of anti-Semitism and racism that has been there. And we thank you, Lord, for... Uh, uh, th that you've done that in, in many ways, but Lord, we need more, we need more. So help them in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So thank you for that, following me on that aside. Um, the question is, why was this extremely conservative faction opposed to Paul in the first place? Well, the first thing is quite obvious. Paul said that Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, many people didn't accept that, same as today. So that is one cause for opposition. But there's another cause for opposition. Um, so some of these factions were actually okay with Jesus. They said, okay, we believe in Jesus. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Yep, uh, we think he came, uh, Jesus came to die for us. The thing they objected to, though, was what happened next. And that was uh, with their neighbors. You see, when the message of Christ got out, as Janelle said, it went viral in these places, right? In these Jewish communities, they're coming speaking in the synagogues, but the message doesn't stay there. It goes out all throughout the city. And suddenly, you've got all of these people, every tribe and tongue. If you've been to like a city of Chicago and you go into one neighborhood, and it's like all people from Azerbaijan. And the next neighborhood, it's all people from Taiwan. You know, like it's just like everyone is different. You have to picture it, some of those kinds of places, right? People from all of these international neighborhoods coming and, and then suddenly showing up 
and wants to sing about God and learn more about Jesus. And that created some real confusion. Um, it, it It created a lot of controversy because these guys wanted to worship together. They wanted to come and join in on doing life together. They wanted to feast together. And that was not something some of these conservative guys were were excited about. In fact, they were decidedly against it because these guys were bringing in all kinds of customs that they weren't weren't accustomed to. I I shouldn't say it like that because that really sounds even like a pun, but it was accidental. (laughs) They brought in all their customs that seemed strange, not even sinful, just strange. Sort of reminds me a little bit of what happened with the Jesus people movement in the 70s. I mean, this is before my time, but you hear all, you know, the stories of these straight-laced churches and the doors open up and some hippies come through and they're wearing tie-dye and they have these long hair that hasn't been washed in a month and they smell faintly of weed. You know, it's, so it's almost like one of those situations. Like you've got all these different people like, wait a minute, what are we doing? What are you doing? You can't just sit down and worship. You know, it's one picture specifically. You've got some, some guy from Lystra. And... This guy from Lystra is super excited about meeting Jesus, and, and he's all in on this man. He's sharing his faith and all these things. But as he goes in, he sits down to eat with these Jewish people. He pulls out, and he's got a, he's got a pocket full of bacon strips. <laughs> he's just like, so anyway, let me tell you. And these guys, their eyes are going, whoa, this is not okay. It's like that. There's like cultural faux pas. There's all this stuff going on. So what do you do? Most of all, worst of all, the dude isn't circumcised. He's not following the dietary laws. He's not following any of these things in the Torah. He just wants to follow Jesus. And the question comes, is that okay? Paul says, yes, it's okay. Other people say no. And this becomes a major uh, uh, issue, okay? Acts chapter 15 addresses it. Uh, uh, directly and tells what happens. But the entire book of Galatians is about this thing. It's about this controversy. Um, so it gets a lot of airtime. It was, it was a really big controversy. And it might seem like, what is the big deal? But it was a huge deal. So in Acts 15, the church comes together, the leaders come together to decide what to do. Are you with me? Okay, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Some men came down from Judea, uh, and we're teaching uh, the brothers, the, the, the new brothers here, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And after, uh, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So it's all coming to a head. What do we do? As you can see, it's not so much about whether foreigners are allowed to be saved anymore. We've talked a lot about that the past month or two. Initially, that was the big question. Now it's, okay, okay, they 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 can be saved. They can be converted so long as they're also culturally converted. Okay? Jesus can save them so long as Jewishness also saves them. They have to come through the door of Israel. You with me? Now, Paul emphatically says no. Barnabas emphatically says no. And, and, and so now they have to come together uh, in Jerusalem to make the decision. So verse 3. 
Um, on the way down, this is what happens on the way down. Being sent on their way to the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers. So they're sharing all these testimonies of what happens in Lystra and Derby and Cyprus and all these places. And most of you are like, man, that is amazing. That is good. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. This past week, I don't know if you guys see, I know some of you guys are, probably don't pay any attention to this, but there was a huge Southern Baptist uh, Church uh, convention in, I think it was in uh, California somewhere. And every year, this is always trending on social media because the SBC is like the largest denomination in the U.S. And they get together like thousands of people to, to vote on new bylaws and all kinds of stuff, choose a new president and all this. Well... They're just following Acts 15. Acts 15 is the very first church convention. These guys all came down, and there were a lot of bigwigs there, right? Paul and Barnabas are there. James, the brother of Jesus, is there. He's now the the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Peter is there. We're talking Peter, right? Got the big gun there. Titus is there, one of Paul's young protégés. A bunch of Pharisees were there. Apostles were there. Everyone was there. They all had lanyards. They all got little USB sticks to get all the lectures afterwards and bring it home, right? Cafe Yum was catering. Many people were not excited about that. Many were. That was another faction. I don't know. That's in the deep Greek. You guys don't know about that. But that was, that was a real thing. So they all get together, and, and they're having these times, these meetings to work through, what do we do? Well, uh, lots of people talk and uh, share their perspective And we pick it up here in verse 6. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up to them and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referencing the whole issue with Cornelius. Remember when that happened? Well, that was like 10 years earlier. So that's what he's referring to. They all knew the story. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Isn't that a great phrase? He made no distinction between us and them. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. This is a powerful moment. Think about what he's saying. This is, this is really something. He's saying, look, if our, if our entire history as God's people, remember Peter's Jewish, obviously. If our entire history as the chosen people shows that we never really could keep the law of Moses, why in the world would we try to put this around there next to? God gave this yoke to us. And we have not been able to bear it. In fact, we've failed. But thank God because we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, not by the Torah. And if we can't be saved by the Torah, they can't be saved by the Torah either. We put our faith in Jesus, not in Jesus and. You see that? Jesus and. Now, Pastor Joshua has used that phrase several times lately, and it's really good. 
It's a really terrible thing, actually, but it's a good, it's a good phrase. Jesus and, that's where we have, you know, we, we sort of cook up our own concoction for salvation, you know. Jesus and my favorite thing that I have, my favorite conviction in life. Those two, you know, Jesus and, there's lots of things to choose from. Lots of people have a Jesus and. You, you could take, you could just pick from our culture and all the different things you see around us. It could be Jesus and social justice. Jesus and self-expression. Jesus and freedom of speech. <laughs> Jesus and the right to bear arms. You could choose many things, couldn't you? Not even necessarily bad things. Now, I'm using political examples. Yes, the reason why is because Paul himself was using the political terms. Excuse me, Luke himself was using political terms here. He, he called them, I don't know if you noticed this, the party of the Pharisees. Isn't that interesting? Paul in Galatians, Paul's kind of unhinged in Galatians about this issue, by the way. If you read Galatians through this lens, it's almost funny. I mean, he is just hammering them. He calls them the party of circumcision. <laughs> You know, that kind of makes me laugh, you know, like, it's like a political party. Like, they had lobbyists, they had campaign signs that read Jesus and circumcision, you know. They, they, they had slogans. They, they, and guys, was this a biblical conviction they had? Absolutely. Was circumcision biblical? Of course. Like, God himself gave that, right? But, but they made an idol out of it. Imagine that. They made an idol out of something God gave them. Through their attitude and actions, they made their Jewishness a core component of the gospel, and it was never meant to be. And pretty soon, that's all that they were known for. So Peter urged the church leaders to set, uh, to, to, to set that aside, to set aside the and. It's not Jesus and anymore. And leave the Gentile Christians alone. <laughs> so the conference goes on. Paul and Barnabas share their stories. They break for lunch. Some of them go get lunch outside because they understand that Cafe Yum is vastly overrated. <laughs> Should I have not said that? So I feel like I'm being factious now. It's just a joke. <laughs> it's just a joke. It's just a joke. <laughs> so they go back, and here is James's judgment. Here's James' judgment. Ready for this? He said, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. We should not trouble them. In other words, they do not have to become Jews. They can worship Jesus and remain Greeks or remain Cyrenians or Asians or Ethiopians or, guess what, Oregonians. We don't have to follow all the rules of the Mosaic law. No sacrifices, no ceremonial law. And if your flannel has a little polyester, no problem. <laughs> this was a, uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's the theological part, you know, which is a really big deal. Christians are not bound to follow the laws in the Torah, which are not reiterated in the New Testament, okay? And this is a major victory for the Gentile believers. But there's... <laughs> There's also something else. Uh, there's a cultural aspect here that I find fascinating and I think is very important for us to hear. It, it's namely this. How then shall we walk together? How do we do life together? How do Jews and Gentiles do that? How do you work through as one community? Because they're, they're brothers and sisters now. There's no more class system, but the differences could be a major hurdle. 
as in any cross-cultural context. So let's read James's full statement here. My judgment, excuse me, uh, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality, and from uh, a food that has been strangled, and from blood. From this, gener- uh, from this, excuse me, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, and he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. What in the world is he saying here? This is where you could go down a deep theological rabbit hole about what is going on here. And instead, I'm just going to paraphrase one of the greatest biblical scholars alive named N.T. Wright. Here's, here's, uh, here's his paraphrase, okay, as he's rewording basically what he's saying. He's saying, guys, we should warn the Gentiles to keep away from things that have been polluted by idols. Idolatry is the root of all evil. If they're hanging around idols and temples and doing all that stuff, how on earth can that possibly be right? And also they should abstain from fornication because Jews have a very clear and explicit sexual ethic and that is continued right the way through the Christian church. And Jesus spoke on it and all the disciples spoke on it. That has been reiterated. But see, then there's this other part when he talks about uh, uh, the, uh, what is strangled and from blood. Like what's going on there? Here's what Wright says. In other words, all the Jewish communities knew about the Mosaic law, about what the Mosaic law says. And so, O Gentiles, please do your best not to flout it and fall afoul of it, even though he's saying you don't have to get circumcised. In other words, guys, do not needlessly offend your brothers and sisters who disagree with you or have different customs than you. Do you see how he's speaking to both sides here? To the Jews, he's saying, guys, keep the main thing, the main thing. Know Jesus and. And to the Gentiles, he's saying, be gentle with your newfound freedom. You live in a multicultural environment. So as you follow Christ, consider your Jewish brothers and sisters. Love them well. Do not provoke them. Do not offend them with your eating habits. That's not the way of Christ. Consider how this uh, would look in multi-ethnic churches. This would have been a really big deal because they're all eating from the same table now. The distinction is gone. There's no more separate places here. And even though the Gentiles didn't have to follow all the Jewish dietary laws, they now have specific instructions on what not to do in those settings. And they're they're told to be kind. (laughs) Are they forbidden to eat medium rare hamburgers with, you know, bacon and a slice of cheddar. No, but you know what they are forbidden to do? Don't you dare take that in and eat that next to your Jewish brother. That's flouting that freedom you have. Don't do that. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And after that, love your neighbor. You guys, this cultural piece is hugely important for us today because all of us are a part of our own cultures, family cultures, ethnic cultures, regional, vocational, political cultures. And those cultures have priorities, some of which line up with Scripture, some of which don't. Oftentimes they don't. And, and what do we do? Like, we can easily get too attached to those priorities, and in the process, we can do terrible damage to our Christian witness and terrible damage to people who really need to see Jesus. In 2013, my wife, for my birthday, got me tickets to see the Dallas Mavericks come play against the Portland Trailblazers. 
I, of course, grew up in Texas, and I love the Dallas Mavericks, and, and I was so excited about this because Dirk Nowitzki, the greatest maverick of all time, was playing the greatest European basketball ever, basketball player ever. It was so exciting. We were making a whole weekend of it, and that was rare in those days that we could get out and get away from the kids and go do anything like this. And so we got a hotel in Portland, and we got to walk over to the Moda Center. You guys, I was in my happiest place. I was so excited. And, and so we, we get there, and our seats were really high, but we had a really great view. And, uh, you know, we were up in the, the dark part. <laughs> you look up, and you're like... And, and, uh, but it was so awesome, and I had decided early on I was not going to be a, uh, a raucous visiting fan. I decided I was going to cheer quietly for my Mavs because there were some guys over here that were having a lot to drink, and they were very loud and vocal about, about their team. And so I decided I'm going to keep it and play it you know, close to the best here. And, uh, and there was, the thing I remember, though, is not so much those guys. It was the boy in front of me. You know why? Because the boy in front of me was a passionate Blazer fan which is fine, it's good, he lives in Portland, but he made a sign. <laughs> he had a big poster board. And I remember at the beginning of the game, like, he stands up and lifts up his poster board, and I'm like, kid, like, Dame is not going to see your sign. Like, he's, he's just not. <laughs> you get binoculars, right? You're not going to get on TV. The cameras, they, they can't do that level of contrast. You're, it's just, you know, but he was excited. And, and I was excited. And it was such a great game. And, oh, man, it's coming down. It's back and forth. And, and the Mavs are hanging right with them. And it gets down to the end. And it's been a great game. My man Dirk has put up 36 and 6. Those are really good numbers. And I'm like, come on, baby. Come on, Mavs. Come on. Come on. 1.9 seconds left, 106 to 106. You guys, I am just, I'm giddy. I love basketball. I love Dallas Mavericks. I love Dirk. I love my wife. I love the world. <laughs> and there's a timeout, and the music plays, and there's a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And everyone gets to their feet. You know, here we go, here we go. Here we go. Playoff atmosphere, even though it's December. And, and we all stand up, and the Mavericks are going to inbound the ball with 1.9 left. And I'm like, here we go. And all of a sudden, the boy in front of me lifts up his sign. <laughs> and I cannot see. And I start panicking. I wanted to rip it out of his hand, but I could, like, I don't know, get sued, or they would, I don't know, security would haul me out, thinking I'm, like, beating up on this poor kid. But I'm like, I can't see. And I'm trying to look over, and I'm, like, panicking. And so then I, like, crouch down. I hit him on the shoulder. I can't see. And he looks back and kind of shifts the sign, and all I see is that ball leaving the hand. Swish right on the buzzer. The Mavericks win, and I was so excited and so irritated because I missed it. <laughs> All I could see is the ball leaving Dirk's hand going. You know, I was recounting this with Joshua earlier this week, this memory, and after recounting it with him, I looked it up on YouTube. I, it's there somewhere. Found the day, found the highlight, and you know what? I had it wrong. It wasn't even Dirk Nowitzki that made the shot. It was Monte Ellis. But how could I know? I didn't see it. <laughs> Why in the world am I telling you this story? Because, friends, we can end up doing something very, very similar in our context, but the stakes are much, much higher. Because no matter what team we're cheering on, whether it's the red team or the blue team or whatever, it's so easy to lift up our cultural messages so high that people, they, they, they can't see Jesus anymore. 
They can't see Jesus anymore. You know the funny thing about that night? I don't even know it was on the kid's sign. I don't even know. But, but isn't that kind of apropos? Like, sometimes you don't even know what they're doing. Like, I just remember him being so committed to having that sign up. I, I couldn't see the game. That's what I remember. He was so committed to that message. And he messed things up for me, you know? Well, let me challenge you this morning. Do you have a sign? What's on your sign? What do people who don't know you, but maybe who know about you, what do they say that you're all about? And how high are you hoisting that thing, you know? Is it drawing attention to Jesus or to the and that you're really excited about? Even if the and is a good and holy thing. Doug Easterday told me a story recently. He had talked to God some years back. You guys know Doug preaches all over the world and has done so for um, about 143 years now, I think. And, <laughs> and I would make that joke if he was here too. So, uh, In fact, I have like 10 times at least. Um, but he said God, he, he had this conversation with the Lord. He's praying and he felt like the Lord said, Doug, I want you to become more hearable more hearable, that he needed to cultivate speaking and acting in such a way that people who didn't know Christ would still be able to hear him. In other words, that his attitude and his actions would never shut a person down and never get in the way of them seeing Jesus. And he said, Doug, if they misunderstand you, I want you to assume that's your fault, not theirs. And I think that is a wonderful challenge. Of course, people can always misunderstand, but the principle holds true, and you guys, it's powerful. Because if the fact is, people are not just listening to your words. You cannot insist, well, just listen to what I'm having to say. You can't do that because people are always also listening to your attitude and the way that you speak. In fact, those things tend to speak a lot louder than your words. And if they sense that things don't line up, well, I think we've got a problem at that point, you know? Here's what Paul says in Colossians 4. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. He says each person. You know, I notice he doesn't say you'll notice how to answer the crowds. You guys, the crowds are going to do their thing. Mobs will be mobs. But it's the hearts of the individual that God is after. He's not after the big statement. He's after capturing the hearts of the individuals. He's the God who goes after the one. And hearts are changed when they receive the grace of Jesus, and that starts with us. We are the front door to the grace of Jesus in so many people's lives. May we be the people who offer that grace to our neighbors, even when we don't share much common ground with them. And that's the way we become fishers of men, you guys. That's the way. I want to take a moment and just of silent prayer. And I, I want us to ask, Lord, am I holding a Jesus and sign? Am I proclaiming your kingdom 
or am I proclaiming my favorite agenda? And am I bringing unnecessary offense to my neighbors that might distract them from seeing Christ? just want to let them search us. Can we do that, Lord? We ask that you would search our hearts now. We are your people. We are your followers, Lord, and you're so gracious at bringing encouragement, and you're so gracious at bringing correction. And I don't know where anyone's heart's at, Lord, but I ask that you would probe us, that you would just come and, and show us our own hearts, Lord Jesus, because we want to follow you in all these ways.